A phrase that we say very often as we talk to one another is, the phrase is thank you, right? We use that word very often. So thanking or being grateful for a gift received or for a help or care we receive from one another is a good thing. We should be thankful to each other. As the Redeemer kids and the Jumpstart coordinator, I'm thankful to the members who serve downstairs with the kids every week and with the Jumpstart every other Thursday. A question that comes to mind when I am thankful is, who is the object of my thanksgiving? Is it only the members who are serving? Or is it God who enables them to serve, to care, and to help with the different ministries in this church? It's actually good to ask this question because we as people are capable of robbing God of the glory and honor that should go to him. And we falsely claim it for ourselves. We are capable of that. So let's this morning see from Colossians chapter 1 verses 1 to 8 and see how Paul the Apostle is thankful for the Colossian believers. So hence I have a main point this morning. And it is this. A heart of thankfulness to God for salvation made possible by the power of the gospel. Again, a heart of thankfulness to God for salvation made possible by the power of the gospel. And I have two points this morning. One, from verses 1 to 5a. A heart of thankfulness to God for salvation. And from verses 5b till the end, verse 8, the power of the gospel. So to just see the context of this book, let's, let's just think about it a little bit. We see Paul is writing this letter to the church in Colossae that he didn't know personally. The church was planted during Paul's three-year ministry in Ephesus. And during this time, a man named Epaphras from Colossae heard Paul preaching the gospel in Ephesus and responded to the gospel in faith he later returned back to his hometown, which is Colossae, preached the gospel faithfully, which resulted, in the Corinth, which resulted in the Colossian church being planted. And at the time of writing of this book, of this letter, Epaphras is with Paul, and he has brought to him a good report about the gospel growth that is happening. At the same time, he has brought them a bad report about the false teaching 
that is threatening the church. And Paul writes this letter to the Colossian believers to respond to the false teachings and encourage the believers in the Colossian church to move towards spiritual and Christian maturity. So the first point, a heart of thankfulness to God for salvation. In verse 1, we see who is writing this letter. We see Paul is writing. Paul and Timothy, we see we there. So we, either Paul and Timothy are writing together or Paul is writing on behalf of Timothy. And we see in verse 1, Paul introduces himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus. He is a special messenger of the gospel of Christ. And we don't see this title for Timothy and Epaphras. We see apostles were specifically called by Christ. And they had seen the risen Lord Jesus. They established and governed the early church under Jesus Christ, who is the chief cornerstone. And they had the power, they had the authority to speak and write the word of God. And here we see Paul was called to be an apostle when Christ appeared to him on the road to Damascus while he was on his way to persecute the Christians. Hence, he became an apostle by the will of God, not by his will. Because he was going to hurt the church. It was God's grace towards Paul. And we see Paul also associates Timothy with him in his greetings. And we see Timothy is a dear companion of Paul in his ministry for the sake of the gospel. In verse 2, we see he's writing this letter to the believers in Colossae. We see they are described first as saints. They are set apart and separated group of people by God for his service through his son Jesus Christ. They are saints in Christ. At the same time, they are also faithful brothers in Christ in Colossae. They are faithful to God as they have placed their trust and dependence on God. But what is interesting is, at the same time, they are in Christ, they are saints in Christ, at the same time they are faithful brothers in Colossae. Their spiritual identity in Christ determines how they live their life in this earth. And now he's greeting them. Paul brings grace and peace from God. He says, he brings grace and peace from our God. And we see this God is a gracious God. Isn't that amazing? Grace is, this, is that amazing act of God by which we belong to Him. And it's a power that helps us sustain, that helps us reach the end. Even this letter from Paul is the grace of God to the Colossian believers. He also brings peace from God. And what is this peace? It is a confidence in the truth that God who made the promise, who has chosen them, who has elected them, will bring 
His promises to completion. He will fulfill it. He will make them. He will see them through. It is also an assurance that nothing in this world will ever separate them from the love of God. And verse 3, we see Paul says, Paul and Timothy says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. They are thanking God for the Colossian believers. We say they are not with them, and they haven't seen them. And what is interesting is, Paul is now in prison for the gospel. Yet from afar, he thanks God for the Colossian believers after hearing a good report about them. And we see Paul thanks God for them always, or, or he's thanking God for them continually. And we see whenever he prayed for them, it is known that Paul prayed regularly, probably three times a day, which was a customary practice, or more than that. But whenever he prayed, he thanked God for them. Paul's thanksgiving is much broader and much deeper than how we would thank each other. Why? Because the object of his thanksgiving is God. Why? Because all that they are and all that they have is because of God's grace to them. God is described in verse 3 as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The same God is our Father as we see in verse 2. Isn't that amazing? Our God and the God of our Lord Jesus Christ is one. We have the one Father. And God has made them saints in Christ and has given them grace and peace. It's all from God and thus Paul just doesn't congratulate them because they have no part in it. It's God's work in their lives. So thanks be to God. We see a tone of rejoicing and praising in this passage. As we saw, Paul is in prison, but yet he is rejoicing and praising God for the good report he heard from Epaphras. But what is interesting is when he's thanking God for them, the attention... The focus is on God. It's not on who preached and how he preached. What all ways did he preach? It's not about that. But it is about God who has worked the good work in their life. What does our prayers look like? Do we pray for our needs, our wants most of the time? Do we pray for our, our family our friends most of the time. How is that looking? Or do we spend time praying for other members in this church and other believers around us in other places and thank God for his work in their lives? Do we do that? Do we thank God when we hear stories of people coming to faith at Redeemer and when people grow in their love and affection for God And when people increasingly start hating sin in their hearts by clinging to Christ for holiness, do we thank God for them? 
Do we rejoice and do we thank God when we see people looking for opportunities to love and care for each other in our congregation at Redeemer? Do we thank God when we hear of our friends and family back home continuing in the truth and growing in the Lord? Do we thank God for them? Paul has a heart of thanksgiving to God. The second thing I want to see with you in this section is, for what is Paul giving thanks to God? We see Paul is thanking God for the salvation the Colossians have received. Come to verses 4 and 5a. We read there, since we, read, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. We see the content of Paul's thanksgiving for the Colossians. He has heard about their faith. He has heard about their love for all the saints. And he knows that is because of the hope they have in heaven. We see all the three essential features of Christian life here. Faith, love, and hope. Verse 4 speaks about the faith in Christ Jesus. Faith is an essential part of our relationship with God. Apart from faith, we, cannot, we are not able to belong to God. We do not belong to God. And, and then we see about the love for all the saints. Love is the outworking of the faith they have in Christ. They being in Christ and being loved by Christ is practically seen in their love for all the believers in Colossae. It's interesting to see their love is towards all the saints, not just for a few with whom, you can, with whom they can get along easily or, or towards a few from, from whom they can get something in return. Their love for the saints is not limited by ethnicity, socioeconomic status, backgrounds, language, traditions, color of skin, etc. Because God has loved them through Christ, they can love all the saints and are able to serve one another. And that is supernatural. And this is so true in our congregation at Redeemer. Just look around. Just look to the other person sitting next to you. He or she just doesn't look like you. I'm an Indian. We have people all around this place from all around the world. Isn't that beautiful? For me as an Indian to love my African brother or an American brother, or a South Asian brother, it's not normal. It's supernatural because we share the same hope. We share the same faith. Therefore, John says in 1 John 4, 20 to 21, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Their love for all the saints was amazing. Just a week back, I was encouraged to see ladies from our church gathering at Happy, our dear sister Happy's place when she lost her dear loved one. It was amazing to see how they reached out to her, booked the ticket for her, got her bags packed, 
brought in food for her, prayed with her. It was an amazing picture of the gospel. In verse 5a, Paul says that faith in Christ and love for all the saints is because of the hope laid up for them in heaven. And that is interesting. To see that both love and faith is a response to the hope they have in heaven. Hope is described as the aim of Christian life. This is very unusual because in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 13, love is mentioned as the greatest of all the three. And in Galatians 5, 5 to 6, we see we hope for perfect righteousness because we have faith in Christ. But here, both faith and love are based on the hope that is set for us in heaven. Paul is emphasizing on the forward-looking, upward-looking character of the gospel message that serves as the basis of the faith and love. This hope is unseen in the future. We have not seen it, but it is sure. It is certain. And this hope can be explained in multiple ways. It can be the final glorification that we are waiting for. It can be the perfect righteousness, the absence of sin that we are waiting and yearning for. And it can be being, being resurrected in that incorruptible body. And it is eternal life with Christ seeing the glory of God. What a beautiful hope it is. And Paul further describes this hope by saying that this Hope is kept for you in heaven. Not by us, not by our, our own works, but by the grace of God. The hope we have in Christ is safely kept in heaven where no one can take it, no one can steal it, which will not be destroyed. It isn't like the faith, it, it, it isn't like the treasure that we would always or often would like to keep it in this earth. The treasures in this earth that we hold on to, that we hope for, will, be, will fade away one day, will be destroyed. And that's what we see in Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. See verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The Colossian believers had set their mind on the hope that was kept for them in heaven rather than on the things of this world. Or in other words, they were heavenly minded and not worldly minded. And thus, Paul is thanking God for them. If you are here this morning and haven't yet put your faith in, in the risen Lord Jesus Christ, let me ask, where are you putting your hopes for forgiveness and for eternity in heaven? Is it on your own good works? Or anything else in this world? Or is it on Christ, the Son of God, who has taken the wrath of God, the Father against sinful human beings, who died on the cross on behalf of sinful people like us? 
and has risen back to life from the dead. I plead with you to repent of your sins and put your hope and your faith in Christ who has paid the penalty of our sins in full. O Redeemer Church of Dubai, where do we set our hopes on? Where is our confidence? Are we people who are caught up with wishful thinking of the things that we want and we are expecting to get? Or are we looking towards the certain and the sure gift of eternal life with Christ that God has kept for us in heaven? Where is our hope? We are all guilty of setting our hope on things of this world other than God in this life. We set our hopes on our jobs, our education, our qualifications, our salaries, investments, our spouse, children, or we set our hopes on, on a better health or a good health or prosperity or more money or a, or a better job and a salary and a car. Where do we set our hopes Does being heavenly minded mean it is an escapism from our responsibilities on this earth? Because that's how sometimes Christians are viewed. Christians are all about heaven. Because this time when I went back to India, my driver said, oh, you don't know this. You don't know that. You are are all very heavenly people. No. No. Being heavenly minded only causes us to be more fruitful in this earth. By being focused on the hope in Christ, we can love God more. We can love others more. While we are here, we become more useful to God and for others in this world. When we set our eyes on the hope of eternal life with Christ in heaven, We are able to go through persecution and even face death for the sake of the gospel with joy and peace. That's why Christians, when the sword is put on their neck, they're about to die, they still smile because they have set their eyes on the hope that is kept for them in heaven. When we set our eyes on the hope that is kept for us in heaven, we are joyful, we are hopeful, in Christ, in times of sufferings, pains, hurt, even though it is so, so real. We are able to love and care for one another in our congregation, irrespective of who the other person is. We are able to reflect Christ and glorify Him in our marriages. We are able to work faithfully as unto the Lord and not for yourself or for anybody else in your workplaces. We are able to be content in life knowing that Christ is our ultimate satisfaction. We are able to hate sin in our hearts and fight it by clinging to Christ and His righteousness. Again, this is impossible by our own strength. In this flesh, we all do fail and lose sight of the hope of the eternal life 
set for us in heaven. But praise be to God, we have hope in Christ. We have Christ to whom we can draw near and repent, seek forgiveness, and continue trusting in Him because Christ has paid the price in full. Praise the Lord. A heart of thankfulness to God for the salvation. Now, how is this all possible? That's my second point. The salvation is possible by the power of the gospel. Let's, let's come to verses 5b to verse 8. The salvation for which Paul and Timothy is giving thanks to God for the Colossians is made possible by the power of the gospel, which is the word of God. And hence, I want to see two things with all of you today. Two things here in this section. One, what is this gospel? And second, what is this gospel doing? First, what is this gospel? Come to verse 5 and 6. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. Verse 6, the second part. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. You see, Paul is describing the gospel in two ways. One, it is the word of the truth. Paul is clearly emphasizing that only the gospel which they have heard, learned and believed is the true message and not the false teachings that is threatening the church. God is true and only and only his word is true and reliable. God is serious about his word as he reveals himself and his will for us through his word. We know him through his word and we respond to him by obeying his word. But when we disobey his word, we disobey God and ignore the truth. This truth is absolute, not relative. It's absolute. It can be known. And it is relevant for all people at all times. The second description about the gospel is, the gospel message is the grace of God in truth. The gospel is also the message of God's grace. It is the good news that God, who is holy, who is righteous, has still shown His love and grace to people like us, who are by nature sinful and deserve death. Now how has He shown His grace to us? By the death and by the resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. The sacrifice of Christ on the cross and his resurrection from death is the greatest act of mercy we can ever think of. Thus, this gospel message requires a response. Those who repent of their sins and put their faith and trust in Jesus, their sins are forgiven and are promised the hope of eternal life with God after death in this world. But those who do not repent and put their faith in Christ, eternal death in hell, the judgment of God waits for you. If you are here and haven't repented and put your faith in Christ Jesus, I plead with you to know that only God can save you from your sinfulness and hence repent and put your faith in Jesus for forgiveness and for eternal life. This gospel is not man-made. 
It is the word of God. It is true. And it displays the grace of God. And that's why we at Redeemer strive hard to be word-centered. That's why we give importance to the preaching of God every Friday. That's why we give importance to small group meetings. That's why we give importance to discipleship where men meet with men, ladies with ladies. They sit together, read the Bible, learn it, they teach each other, and they share their life and pray with each other. And that's why we encourage gospel conversations. And today, after the service, when people go to Al-Gurair, that's what is going to happen. Gospel conversations. Encouraging each other in Christ. The gospel is the word of truth and the message of grace. But then, what is this gospel doing? The gospel was preached to them. Come to verse 5 and 6. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. The gospel came to them through the preaching of Epaphras who preached it to them. Look at verse 7 with me. Epaphras brought the gospel to the city of Colossae. He heard it from Paul at Ephesus and responded with faith. He went on to preach the gospel faithfully in Colossae so that they could hear it. It is also interesting to see that they didn't just only hear the gospel and understand, but they learned it. We see Epaphras gave them systematic instruction and training in the gospel, in the word of God, and these Colossian believers were discipled by Epaphras. Thus, Paul addresses him as our beloved fellow servant in verse 7. He was a fellow servant for the sake of the gospel with Paul. And then he's also called as a faithful servant of Christ. Epaphras was trustworthy. He was faithful in bringing the gospel back to Colossae and preaching it faithfully, week in, week out, day in, day out, and proclaiming it. And he was instrumental in planting the church there. He taught the people faithfully. And he also faithfully struggled in prayer for them so that they would grow towards Christian maturity. That's what we see in chapter 4, verse 12. Also, this gospel has not only come to the Colossians. It has also come to the whole world. Look at that verse. Isn't that amazing? Not just for the Colossians. Not just for the South Asians. Not just for the Indians. Not just for Americans and Europeans. It's there in the whole world. During the time of writing this letter, the gospel has spread from Jerusalem into Syria, Asia Minor, Greece, Italy, and likely into Egypt, North Africa, and Persia also. Now think about the proclamation of the gospel now. By the grace of God, the gospel is in Dubai. And this morning, the gospel is being preached in Dubai in various churches to people from all over the world who will one day, God willing, go back to their hometowns and to other places with the gospel. The preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the word of God is very important. And no innovations, no creativity, no techniques 
can't substitute it. So listen to what Paul says in Romans 10, verse 14 to 17. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Do you have an Epaphras in your life? Someone or more than one person who shared the gospel with you first. Someone or more than one person who taught you the word of God systematically and faithfully. Someone or more than one person who is still teaching you and meeting up with you in this congregation. Someone or more than one who is faithfully praying for you and struggling for you so that you would be presented holy and blameless in the presence of God. Do you remember them? Do you thank God for them? In whose life have you served as an Epaphras? Or are serving right now? To whom are you preaching the gospel now? Sharing the gospel? Do you know the gospel message clearly so that you are ready to share it at your workplace? Or in the midst of a taxi drive? Or in your building? Or with whom are you spending time reading the word of God and discipling and teaching and growing in the word of God together? Do you pray for one another in this congregation? I also would like to challenge all of us here now to consider the example of Epaphras. Paul had a wonderful strategy of preaching Christ in important cities which were on the major trade routes like Ephesus, Corinth, Antioch. And Epaphras and many others heard the gospel in these cities. They responded to the gospel message with faith. And they went back to their hometowns and preached the gospel faithfully. And churches were planted. God has brought us to Dubai. And this is one of the major cities in this world now. Where people from all around the globe staying in this place. You can see this hall. Just look around. For some of us, we came to know the gospel for the first time in Dubai. And for many of us, like me, it was in Dubai that I understood the beauty and the power of the gospel, that I grew in my love and affection for God as a family. I want to ask you one question. Are we willing to consider going back to our hometowns one day or to any other place that God takes us with the gospel, preach it faithfully and be instrumental in planting churches and send back encouraging reports of gospel growth. Would we take that challenge? Would we consider that? This is a beautiful example that Epaphras has set for us. The gospel was preached to them. At the same time, the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing. Look at verse 6. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Dear brothers and sisters, the gospel is at work. The gospel is powerful. It is active. 
it's interesting to see that it is a gospel that bears fruit. It is a gospel that is increasing. It's like, the, it's, it's like that mustard seed that we see in Matthew 13, which is described as the smallest seed, but it grows and becomes larger than all the plants and becomes a tree that serves as a nest for the birds of the air. It's like the seed which falls on solid ground, the good ground, and bears fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. The gospel is powerful. It bears fruit. The gospel is also increasing, which can mean two things here. Once they one, the people in Corinth, uh, in, in the, the people in the church in Colossae are growing in their understanding of God, which leads them to live holy lives towards Christian maturity. And second, it can also mean that the gospel is increasingly being proclaimed and preached all over the place. It is because of the gospel that the Colossian believers are able to love each other in the church, irrespective of whether the other person is a Jew or a Gentile. It is because of the gospel that they focus their eyes on the eternal hope that God has kept for them in heaven and consider the riches and the pleasures of this world as nothing in comparison to the hope of eternal life with Christ. Dear church, the word of God is true. It is powerful and it does its work. And that's why Jonathan Lehman in his book, Reverberation, says God's word, working through God's spirit, is the most powerful force in the universe and in the church. Isn't that true? God's word is powerful. So preach the word and live out the word of God. In verse 8, Epaphras brings a good report about the Colossian community. He says about their love in the spirit. Their love for all the saints, not because of what they have done. In the spirit, by the strength of God. Paul is in prison and what more would excite Paul when he's suffering than to listen that the Christians in Colossae are growing in the gospel. This is the power of the gospel. Do we understand the beauty and the power of the gospel? Are we passionate and in love with God's word? How much time do we spend reading and meditating in God's word a day? Just ask that question to your own hearts and you will see where is your heart. Is the gospel bearing fruits and increasing in your lives, in our lives? Are our hearts the good soil where the seed flourishes and grows, the gospel growing? Does the gospel help us to say no to sin and ungodliness in our heart and run to Christ for holiness? Is the gospel reminding us of the eternity that God has pre prepared for us and we cling to his faithfulness when we go through sufferings and pain? Is the gospel helping us? Is the gospel helping us to seek out and love one another, care for each other, be forgiving, be gentle, be loving and patient in our, in our, in our, in our families? Does the gospel encourage you and, and make you desirous of souls 
being saved for the Lord. Does the gospel prompt you, encourage you to go and share the gospel with others? The gospel does bear fruit and it does increases. It does its work. Is it working in our hearts this morning? The gospel is the word of God, which is true and powerful. And Paul thanks God for the Colossians, for the salvation they have, which is made possible by the power of the gospel. So let's remember and thank our God for the amazing salvation provided for us graciously through his son. And let's fix our eyes and wait eagerly to enter that beautiful eternity on the other shore we have in heaven life eternal life with god with christ where there is no sin where there is no pain where there's no tears where there's no death let's be hopeful people in christ as we live our lives in this world let's pray Gracious Heavenly Father, we are thankful for, for your word this morning. Thankful for the gospel that you have given us. Thankful for the faith and the love and the hope that you have given us, Father. It's not our own work, it's your work in our lives. So we thank you. Help us to be people who are thankful and, and joyful and praising you, Father. Help us to bear fruit in our lives. Help us to be reminded of the gospel. Help us to be hopeful people. Help us help our eyes to be fixed on the hope, the eternal life with you that you have provided for us as we lead our lives in this earth now. Help us to be faithful people, striving hard for humility, for, for patience, for integrity, for holiness. In your name we ask all of these things. Amen.